Bibles tonight, if you'll go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 to 3 again. I'm going to continue in part 2 of our, of our study, Three Essentials for a Healthy Church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. If your neighbor next to you doesn't have a uh, King James Bible, you'd share your Bible with them, that'd be a blessing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. <clears throat> All right, follow as we read tonight. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ and in the sight of God our Savior. Now, Father, thank you for the reading of your word. And as we're just kind of getting uh, uh, settled in and uh, ready tonight for the service, feed our souls. I claim 1 Peter chapter 5 this evening, that once again you'd feed the flock of God which is among us and uh, taking the oversight thereof. Lord, we call upon you as the chief shepherd and bishop of our souls, as the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Feed the souls of your people. Give us instruction, enlightenment, application, Lord. And uh, Lord, we pray motivation, inspiration for following the the, the instructions that Paul gives here in 1 Thessalonians, everything we need for the Christian life, everything we need for a church that is spiritually healthy and is productive in serving Christ is found in this study. And we pray that you'll help us to just really uh, get, our, get our teeth into it and to really uh, follow through with the leading of the Lord tonight. Work in our hearts, we pray. Meet individual needs and specific burdens tonight as well. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We started last week a, uh, a study on three essentials for healthy churches. And of course, all of us know that physically it's important to, to live healthy, to eat healthy, to be healthy. And the same can be said for healthy churches. We didn't finish last week, and I'll cover very quickly what we covered last time. But I want you to begin with me in verse 3, the very opening words of the Apostle Paul. In verse 3, he talks about remembering without ceasing. And we said this last week that there were some unforgettable impressions that Paul had before he left the city of Thessalonica. The, word without seas, the words without seas are one word in the Greek, which uh, can be translated continuously, incessantly, without interruption, or as we see here tonight, without ceasing. It's a word that Paul used more than once. Notice in chapter 2, verse 13, Paul used it there. He said in chapter 2, verse 13, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which ye heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Now Paul had some great impressions about that church. Uh, I don't travel a lot but where I, where I do travel I try to observe certain things and there are certain things about churches and ministries that kind of stand out that, that, that kind of embed itself in your mind. It might be the physical location it might be the leadership style of the, of the pastor it might be the friendliness of the people it might be just how God is working that particular area. And Paul talks about here at Thessalonica that one of many things that stood on his mind was the fact that when they received the word of God, again, you have to go back to Acts 17, how consistently that Paul reasoned with them out of the scriptures, that consistently that he says here that they received the word of God as not as the, as the word of men, but as God's word there and how it worked in their hearts. That, that stood out in his mind. Another thing we see is found in chapter 5, verse 17. Paul uses the same phrase without ceasing, but as a command. He says, pray without ceasing. Now, I'm not going to get ahead of myself tonight and talk 
talk about what Paul meant by that. But Paul mentioned there that the matter of prayer should be something that's continuous, that's incessant, that we always are working and living and with the spirit of prayer. Now go back here to chapter 1, verse 3. In chapter 1, verse 3, Paul had unforgettable memories of how this church flourished. Look at it again. Remembering without season, he talks about this triad, if you would, this triad of virtues that was found in this church here. He says, there's just some things for the short time I was there that stand out in my mind. He talks about things that were without season. Now, I want to pause just for a moment as we're in the introduction. You know, there's just some things that as a, as a pastor, that as I, I plan and look forward to every week, there's just some things every single service, every single Sunday that I I pray would be unforgettable in the hearts and minds of people who come to our church. Uh, I want them to know that when they leave this church that they are welcome. I want them to have a friendly experience that's embedded in their mind. I want them to know that without any compromise, this is a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. Amen? I want them to know that that's the kind of church we have. I want them to sense when they come to the church, they see the buildings and they see the things happening, that there's a vision for the future. I want them to sense this is a place where the whole family can grow together. There's a place where they can plant their children in the children's ministry, a uh, place in the kindergarten. I want the sense that if they have teenagers, that this is a fun place for their teenagers and a growing place for them. I want them to sense that if they're college age, this is a place where there's a discovery for their faith. I want them to know if they're single adults, there's other single adults that they can, they can, they can network with. And I want them to know that our adult growth groups have something for everybody. I want them to know that when they come to church, we're not playing games. Amen? I want them to feel like when they come here, that preaching is the engine that drives the church. I want them to know that we have members who are sincere, who love God and obey the prompting and the impulse of the Holy Spirit of God. I want them to know that going to heaven is critically important and hellfire is to be shunned quickly. I want them to know we're concerned for their souls. I want them to know that as far as an unforgettable mind, that when, they, when their door was knocked on and they came by invitation, someone that left a track of their door or whatever it may be, I want them to know that just as we were sincere about them getting saved at the door, we're sincere about them getting saved here at church as well there too. I want them to know this is a church that cares about souls. I mean, that's what Paul's saying there, remembering without ceasing. We need to, we need to just kind of get our thoughts wrapped around the fact as a church, there's some unforgettable memories we want to give to people. Now, Paul, as we go back to verse 3, talks about this church. Notice what he says here. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what he's saying there is that, you know what, what what's embedded in his mind, and again, remember, he wrote this while he's down at Corinth there in Acts chapter 18. Embedded in his mind is a church that though it was young, though it was still growing, it was a thriving church. It was a growing church. It was a healthy church. From all, from everything we could tell, the church at Corinth was triumphant because it was spiritually healthy. Now, a healthy church is only possible when it's made up of healthy church members. Now, I'm not talking about physical health. I'm talking about spiritual health. A healthy church is only possible when it's made up of healthy church members. Now, Lord, listen tonight. We can't be the kind of church God wants us to be unless all of us are committed to being spiritually healthy. Amen? So let me give you some thoughts about that tonight. Just because you might have a pulse doesn't necessarily mean that you've got the power. Amen? Just because you are breathing does not necessarily mean you've got the breath of heaven upon you. Just because you're walking does not necessarily mean you're walking in the Spirit. Just because you're conscious doesn't necessarily mean you're so conscious. When we look at these things, we need to ask ourselves the question, am I walking in the Spirit? Is the breath of heaven upon my life? Am I, am I so conscious? Is the power of God on my life? I mean, these are things Paul is going to talk about just, in fact, in this first chapter 
here that's important for us. So notice some things tonight about healthy churches. Number one, we're going to break it down a little bit further. Number one, would you consider with me the habits of a healthy church? Now, some of you are a little bit older. You've got certain habits you follow that are important to staying healthy. You probably see the doctor more regularly than younger people. You probably take a host of vitamins that younger people neglect to take. You probably have a diet regimen. Some of you are juicers. Some of you have an exercise regimen that you follow. Some of you have a certain diet you follow. Whatever it may be, there's a regimen. There's habits that you follow. Now, you might want to write this down. Habits are repeated practices that we do. Habits are repeated practices that we do. Getting up in the morning at the same time. For me, it doesn't matter if I'm on vacation or if I'm away or if I'm traveling, mission trip, I get up at the same time, if not earlier, all the time. It's just a habit I have. Brushing your teeth. And by the way, you should be brushing your teeth. Say amen to that. Amen. You should be brushing your teeth. But brushing your teeth should be a good habit. Ben, you better brush your teeth. Amen. <laughs> Habits are disciplines ingrained in our daily life. Amen. That's just something that we do all the time. And healthy churches have healthy habits. Now notice these three habits that Paul mentions. And the first one we talked about last week, but I'm going to cover real quickly. Number one is the work of faith. Now, we said the work of faith is, uh, is important here. It's basically working out your faith. It's faith in action. Now, I said this last week, and this is important. The word for faith or work that's, the word for work that's used here is the word ergon. Ergon is where we get our word ergonomics from. Now, ergon is a little bit more stronger than how we apply the word work in our Western terminology. The word for worker means the main business or occupation of a person. The main business or, 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 or occupation of a person. It also means more work and not less work. So think with me for a minute. The main occupation, the main business for a Christian is the work of faith. We're to be putting our faith into action. Our faith should be seen as being busy. Our faith should be seen as doing more, not less. Now, we said this last week, the work of faith should be active. And I looked at, we looked at James chapter 2 last week about faith that is active and not a faith that's dead. We said that faith should be active. Secondly, we said that faith should be asking. Faith is all about asking. Faith is all about prayer. That's the essence of Hebrews 11.6. And we looked at uh, Matthew chapter 15 verses 21 to 28 about the Syrophoenician woman and how Jesus went all the way up to the coastline to the city of Tyre just to minister to that one woman. The people down there in the Galilean area where he was at in the northwest sector did not want to hear him. He was at Capernaum. They didn't want to hear him. He was Bethsaida. They didn't want to hear him. So basically, Jesus went up to Tyre to just minister to this one woman. And this woman is a Gentile who came from a pagan background, had great faith in our Lord. And Jesus commended her in that chapter. He says, great is thy faith. He kind of pushed her off. He brushed her off to see how sincere she was about wanting to see her daughter delivered. And she had greater faith than the Jews themselves. Faith is ask you. This woman pled with Jesus Christ. She stayed white, right with him. This woman prayed. This woman was persistent. The work of faith is active. The work of faith is asking. But we saw something else. The work of faith is also artistic. We saw in, in Mark chapter 2 that uh, how Jesus commended the four men who carried their friend, who had palsy. Uh, they carried him on a stretcher, and they couldn't get in through the door because there were too many people in there. So you remember the story there? They broke up the roof of the house, and they slowly and carefully lowered their friend down and got him in front of Jesus and kind of just captivated the attention of everyone there. And the Bible makes mention there in Mark chapter 2, verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith. He saw that they, they, they took whatever means necessary to get their, their friend to Jesus. And of course, Jesus healed them there. We saw the work of faith there. The first he essential habit is the work of faith. Now let's get into the second one tonight. We see the work of faith, and I want you to take some detailed notes tonight. I want you to see secondly tonight the labor of love. 
Now, if you just accept what it says right there in the English without understanding what the words mean, we really don't appreciate or really don't grasp what Paul is talking about there in the labor of love. Now, notice tonight there are two words Paul's using. The first word is the word love. And love, as we find here, and those of you who know your Bible know that there's three predominant words that are used to talk about love. The primary and highest one is the word agape. Philio is the word where we get our word Philadelphia, and that's talking about brotherly love. Let brotherly love continue. This love we're looking at here is agape love. It's the highest form of love. It is love in action just like God loves. It's the word that's used for John 3.16, for God so love. It's the highest form of love. It is love without any strings attached. It is love that is sacrificial. It is love that keeps giving and giving and giving and not taking. It's the same love mentioned in Romans 5.8, for God commendeth his love towards us. It is loving like God loves. It is the same love that is described as a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. Would you look at that please? In Galatians 5.22, it says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's talking about loving like God. When we examine the, the walk of the Spirit, Galatians 5 talks about there, we have to give account that it's not just words that we're given here. It's the actual essence of the Spirit of God working through us, loving like God loves, having the joy God wants us to have, having the peace that God wants us to have. It's that kind of love. It is the love that we're commanded to walk in. It's commanded in Ephesians 5.2. Would you look at that? In Ephesians 5.2, it says, walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. It's interesting as we look at the difference walks mentioned in, in, in Ephesians chapter 5. The very first one, walk in love, is also brought up again as an as a, as a, as a outflow of our Christian life as he talks about the relationship of the husband to his wife and the church to the Lord Jesus Christ here. He says we are to walk in love as Christ loved us. That's a command to every Christian. This is the love he's talking about there. It's the same, it's, it's another, another thought I want to give you tonight. It is the apex of spiritual maturity as found in 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 5 to 8 if you'll turn there. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 to 8, he talks about the increments of faith, how it's kind of like stair climbing. We're climbing up one, one, one step at a time to get to the top, and it's the apex of spiritual maturity. And he says this in 2 Peter 1, Besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness. And if you're following that, he's saying, this is how we grow. This is how we measure whether or not we're maturing. Are these virtues evident in our life? Are we seeing victory in our Christian life with these virtues. And then he says, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness. Notice the word charity. Charity is agape. It's loving like God loves us. And he goes on by saying in verse 8, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, beloved, we're to grow like Peter talks about here. We're to grow by adding these increments of faith. He says, add to your faith virtue. The beginning point, the starting point of the Christian life is, is faith. But we've got to add these other eight or nine increments to our Christian life with the apex or the highest level being loving like God loves. Hey, when we love like God loves, the fruit of the Spirit is not difficult. When we love like God loves, faith promised missions is not difficult to give to. When we love like God loves, participating, being involved in reaching souls for Christ, and being active on the mission field is not hard for us to do because we love like God loves. But we've got to go, go through these increments to get to that level where we realize that we can love like God loves. The first word is love, but notice the second word in labor of love is the word labor. And listen very carefully to the, the definition on this. When I look at the word labor, I think of work. I think of effort. I think of, uh, 
a, a hard day of, of exercise. But the word is a little bit more than that. The word for labor in the Greek is the word kopos. I think we get our word coping from that. And kopos, kopos means a beating. And literally a beating of the chest. A beating of the breast and chest. Kind of like the, like the publican who smote his chest or breast, the Bible says. And he said, woe is me. He said, and he was praying to God. It said someone who beats her chest with perhaps anxiety and anguish and sorrow. It has the idea of where someone has caused trouble or we make work for another person. We, may, we, we cause a person where it's a burden to someone else there. It has the idea of labor united with toil and trouble. It is also translated weariness and trouble. Where you find this word kopos, which is used at least 19 times in the, in the New Testament, he has the idea of toil and weariness and trouble. Now let's look at this word, these words labor of love, where Paul's coming from this. Because remember, he's identifying three key virtues that identified the church at Thessalonica as being a, a spiritually healthy church. The first one was the work of faith. The second one is the labor of love. So as we look at this, as we consider the words love and labor, the word labor being the word kopos, associated with his trouble and toil and weariness or the beating of the chest, let's consider first of all the principle behind this word. The word labor, the term labor of love is used here with the emphasis on labor. is telling us this, and, and I want to be careful how you interpret this, but it's, it basically is telling us that serving the Lord is not without difficulty. Serving the Lord will have its burdens. Labor of love means if you're going to serve the Lord, it is not a walk in the park. It is not a stroll on the sandy beach. There are going to be trials and difficulties and times. There will be as you try to serve the Lord with love, you try to do an effort, you realize that, that there are times you get pushback, there are times you get rejection, there are times there are misunderstandings, and it can be very, very difficult because all of us have different personalities. Some of us are a little bit, can probably take it, and all of us are a little bit more fragile where it's a little bit harder for us to swallow. Labor love will entail times of grief, times of sorrow, times of rejection. It does not mean when we consider labor of love, the heartaches are with it. It does not mean we should not serve the Lord. It does not mean that we should be overly cautious. It does not mean that we should do less. It does not mean there's no joy in serving Jesus, but it's just being very realistic that in this word labor, kopos, there are disappointments, there is stress, there are lingering problems, there is weariness, there is heartache, there is disappointment, all of that. Using this term, labor of love gives us a reality check. Now I want you to notice, Paul was so, um, so absorbed with this word labor, he uses it several times in his writings to the church at Thessalonica. Notice in 1 Thessalonians 2.9, if you'll go there please. Paul references to the church here at Thessalonica, his labors, which you notice chapter 2 verse 9. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail. Now notice the two words, labor and travail. They're, they're one and the same. He's, talking about, he's not talking about just two separate things. He's talking about labor and travail being related together. Travail, of course, is a word that's associated with uh, birth pangs and the, and the difficulties of a woman giving birth. And he's using that as a description of how hard it was to labor there at Thessalonica. Look at it again. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day because we not, would not be charged unto any of you. We preach unto you the gospel of God. Paul is talking about here there was trouble. 
There were times he was beating the breasts. There was times he was, he was, the, the work was heavy. There were times where the rejection was more than he could handle. And he's talking about it in the context now of what he did. He said in those, that little bit of time that he was there with, with, the, with the other co-laborers, he says, you remember our labor and travail. I mean, they felt the pushback as they were preaching the gospel in the synagogue. And they could feel the, 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 uh, the, perhaps the rejection as they were doing personal work during that time. And then God gave them the breakthrough where some of the Greeks got saved and some of the chief women got saved and, and people were starting to get to come to Christ and then there was an assault on the house of, of Jason there. He's talking about the fact when we were there, we labored and travailed, we poured our hearts out. Notice chapter 3, uh, chapter 1 First uh, Thessalonians 3, 5. He uses it again here. And he says here, for this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest some means the tempter having tempted you and our labor be in vain. Now the word labor again is talking about the, the, he put much effort. He went over, you know, he went, uh, he was working night and day to getting the gospel and reaching people. And he says, because he was concerned that after they left, that Satan would have attacked them and everything they did would have gone down the drain. He said, lest our labor be in vain. And then again, notice the second Thessalonians 3.8, he uses it again. He says, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but we wrought with labor and travail. There it again, labor and travail, night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. So Paul is talking about the fact that serving the Lord is work. Serving the Lord takes effort. Serving the Lord takes time. Now Sunday, we're going to be talking about a couple events coming up. We're going to be talking about the, the spring revival. And we really want to promote that in our church. And we really want to see a good attendance on the nights that Dwight Smith is here. And we want to see the Lord just pour out his blessing and a spirit of revival that would prevail in our church. But right after that, we're going to get into our, our Easter outreach. And we want to just kind of revolve our church for about five weeks and just really strong outreach and praying for our friends and, and people we know to come to Christ and come to the musical. And we're praying that uh, within several cities of this area that we'll be able to influence this area with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're pray that our church will, well, everyone in our church will get involved on, on a team of some kind of being involved in reaching people and inviting people or serving somewhere and doing something for, maybe it might be just working around the church property or maybe helping with a, a treasure hunt activity we're going to have, reaching kids, whatever it may be. But we want people involved in making some effort of time. But listen, we're not going to have a great attendance and we're not going to get to the next level that God wants to get to unless there's some labor of love on our part working and serving God. So notice number one, there's the principle in, in, in the labor of love. But notice number two, would you notice the people? Now let's be honest. Ministry is not about things. Ministry is about people. Ministry is about you. You wouldn't be here unless somebody reached out to you. You wouldn't have been here unless somebody told you about the church. You wouldn't be here unless somebody told you about Jesus Christ here. I mean, ministry is about people. And labor of love refers to the people being ministered to. Now, I thank God we get to minister to people. When I think about people, I, there are a lot of thoughts across my mind. I think about the unsaved we're trying to reach. I think about as we start every week, we detail, for some of us, we detail the people we're going to see during the week and the areas we're going to go to and the context we're going to make and the follow-up we're going to do and the people we're going to care for. Uh, I think about new believers we're trying to grow. I, I kind of did my walk around the, the campus a little bit tonight and those who are in our discipleship classes and uh, people we're trying to grow. I think about 
off new believers just trying to get their grasp. The other night I was doing a discipleship, and it was kind of exciting now to see some believers now trying. They, they, they know the difference from the Gospel of John and 1 John. Amen, you know? And it's kind of fun. You watch them when they first do it. You, you tell them about 1 John, and they're in the Gospel of John. Now they, can, they know the difference. And then they ask, who's 2 John? And they ask, who's 3 John? And then later on, you find that they can differentiate from the Old Testament and the New Testament there. And then sometimes you trick them. You tell them, hey, go turn to the book of Abraham. They're looking for the book of Abraham. There's no book of Abraham, amen, you know? And we'll do things like that with them. But it's kind of fun to watch people that they're discerning through that. You know, it's, it, you know, that's the work of the ministry. We love seeing God grow people. I think of members and attendees who are faithful and excitedly coming alongside of the preacher to help build the work. I'm thankful as I think about Wednesday night, I start thinking about the, the familiar faithful faces on Wednesday night. And then I think about the ones who are not here and trying to get them there. And I see the same for Sunday night. Then I think about Sunday morning. We're thinking about all those groups of people. I mean, when you think about the labor of love, there's the people. It's reaching people, seeing new people brought to the church and helping them find their place and getting them to grow. But then they're the people who give this word labor its meaning. And Paul, as he's talking about the labor of love, he's not talking about him in verse 3. He's talking about what he saw demonstrated in these young, emerging, growing believers at the church at Thessalonica. Because he left behind some things he couldn't change. He left behind the fact that this church got started, but he had to assemble leadership quickly. And he saw this church, in spite of difficulties he was facing from the Jews at Thessalonica, this church accepted the burdens and the risks and associated with this church is what he called the labor of love, this, this desire of serving Christ. Now here's what I'm going to give you some thoughts tonight about. Here's the realities of ministry. There are the people who give this word labor its meaning. There are those who come and they hop churches. And they come hopping churches with different doctrinal persuasions. And they're scoping to find out, do we, do we uh, believe what they believe? And, and if we don't speak in tongues, their goal is to, to subtly, in some cases, to subtly infiltrate and to get the church on board by trying to pull off a flock of their own that believe in speaking in tongues. Now, if you're not clear about it, just to let you know, speaking in tongues, as far as the phenomenon that's found as a sign gift, has ceased. It's no longer in existence. If you didn't know that, okay? It's no longer. On top of that, even if it was in existence, there's a, there's a rigid criteria that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 14 that has to be followed through. And no Pentecostal church or charismatic church follows through with that. Foremost of which, it says that women are to keep silent. And in most cases where you see the charismatic movement being promoted, there's a predominance of women that are, quote, unquote, speaking tongues. On top of that, when you talk about speaking tongues, the word, when it's first used in Acts chapter 2, is not talking about gibberish. It's talking about foreign languages. There was a phenomenon where men who, were, who did not have the, possess these languages were speaking in the languages of other nations. We find that very clearly brought out in Acts chapter 2. Now that gift is ceased because when that which is perfect is come, that's the word of God. When that which is perfect is come, that which is in part is passed away. Now the charismatic will tell you when that which is perfect is come, that's talking about the second coming. If you read contextually that, it, the second coming has nothing to do with that. You read 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 14. The second coming has nothing to do with it. Paul is dealing with the misuse of spiritual gifts. But there are those who want to come and want to infiltrate the church and kind of find out where we're at about this matter. And you need to be aware of that. Uh, there, there are those 
There are the people who, and I hate to say this, but people who get a power trip because they may be given a role, and secretly, secretly as they get in this role, they get a little big-headed about the role and the title, and uh, they want to undermine the work of God. They feel like, well, we need to go a different direction, do a different thing. They want to get in that place, and that happens in every church where something like that happens. I just got the report the other day. I'm an extension ministry of a, of a church here in California, a thriving church here in California. They entrusted that, 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 uh, that extension ministry to a man that they thought they could trust, and this man started listening to the wrong voices. He started drinking water out of the wrong fountain, if you know what I mean, and he started drinking out of a pot where there was some poison, and he decided he was going to side it with this other group. Now, bear in mind, he's a steward there. He was put in trust extension ministry, and overnight, he takes 150 people with him. They leave that church. They start something across the town with a different name. That's wrong. That's unethical. I mean, that's, that, that's not the right thing to do. But that's what he's talking about, the labor of love, when something like that happens or when someone does that kind of thing on you. Um, there are the people who come to church who are takers and never giving. I'm amazed that sometimes we have these special events and the same recurring faces come, and bless God for that, but they're takers, not givers. They really are coming for whatever other motive, and they're givers, not takers. We had the other night for a fellowship dinner. That happens all the time. I mean, you think about these are the people, he says, the labor of love. They're, they're, not, they're, not, they're, not, they're not contributing anything to the work of God. They might be saved, but they're just kind of coming taking the food and things like that there. Um, there are those who are not in agreement with the church vision, the policies, the standards, the doctrine, the faith, and direction of the church. And these are the people he's talking about there. They're the people who really do not enjoy being a church, but they come because they have friends here and they're concerned for their friends. Their motive for being here is because of a social networking uh, issue. And there's no problem with that. That's fine with that. But let me just say to you tonight that if your only motive for coming is because you're concerned for your friends but you're not agree with the direction, then you know it ought to prompt you when the Holy Spirit of God speaks to you from the Word of God. You ought to say, I'm going to obey the Spirit of God and I'm going to obey God and not my own spirit, amen, and let the Lord work in your heart. Now, what's he talking about here? There's the people. The fact of the matter is the labor of what Paul's talking about here, what was breaking hearts, what was causing concern, where most, the average Christian would back out, was the fact that it was the people work that was causing people discouragement. Now, if you stay around ministry long enough, you serve God long enough, you stay in church long enough, people are going to disappoint you. People will hurt you, or you think they'll hurt you. People will have, you think they've got the wrong motives, or you get this idea, they've got this perception that, that people are against you, and I don't think that's the case, but sometimes that's how the appearance looks at, uh, uh, to you and I. And he's talking about here the people, the people that hurt us. Hey, listen tonight, if you look at ministry throughout the Bible, Here's why, why Paul used the term labor love. They're the John Marks who start out with you enthusiastically, but later on they abruptly depart. There are the Euodiuses and Syntyches who Paul carefully and lovingly had to address because the whole reason why he wrote the book of Philippians was because Euodius and Syntyche had these two ladies in the church, very strong personalities. They had, a, they had a problem. They had a quarrel. It boiled over into the church. It affected the spirit of the church. The joy of the church was gone. The, the focus on the gospel was, was diminished. It was all these things. So Paul starts out by dealing with chapters 1, 2, and 3 with the church having the mind of Christ. You know, you read about that especially in, in, in Philippians 2 verse is 1 to 4. And then he gets to chapter 4 having all done that. And without just giving more than one verse to it, he says, you, do, you both need to be of the same mind. Get on the same mind. I've already talked about it. Just kind of settle your difference and get right with God. But, you know, when you read this, that's why he wrote the book of Philippians. There are the Alexander the coppersmiths, who according to Paul did him much evil. There are the Joabs, who used their office to argue, insubordinate, and rebel. There are the Demases, who love this present world and depart. Hey, there are situations where you might send a man out as a missionary, and he winds up failing on the field because he decides he doesn't 
doesn't believe that anymore. He takes a doc, doc, different doctor persuasion. Or you might have someone that serves in a capacity on a local church. This happens to all local churches. He serves in a local church, but he winds up deciding that he wants to be the one in charge. And so he leads a revolt and people against him. I mean, this happens all the time. Hey, there's the labor of love we're talking about. The fact of the matter is you're going to beat your breast and chest with sorrow and with grief and heartache and pop a few gray hairs and you're going to wonder what's going on here and the stress goes on and the, and the thing doesn't resolve overnight and you're trying to get things resolved. He's saying it's all the heartaches that go on with the ministry there. They're the people you help win to Christ, salvage your children and their families and they forsake and go somewhere else. There's a principle. There's the people. Notice thirdly, there's the pain. Labor love is beating your breast or chest with grief and sorrow. The people who break your heart, cause you sorrow, and afflict many sorrows into your soul. That's what he's talking about there. And he's not saying that the labor in itself means we should throw in the towel. Because the term he's using is one word. It's kopos, kopos agape, the labor of love. You're going to hurt. You're going to suffer. You're going to weep. You're going to be discouraged. You're going to be anxious. But you know what he's saying there? Just keep on loving people and keep on loving God while you're doing it. Amen? Just stay at it. You have, the only thing that compels you to stay at what you're doing is learning how to love like God loves. Now notice the, the pain here. Go over with me to Matthew 26 if you would. I want to read the passage to give you a commentary on it real quickly. Matthew 26. And here's the story of Mary of Bethany, where after her brother Lazarus had been raised back to life, she, in a wonderful way, displays her love for our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in Matthew 26, verse 7 to 10, Now there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. And you have to understand how that commanded the whole attention of everybody. I mean, people are, people are serving. People are, are there listening to Jesus. And she comes in with a very identifiable box. It's a box that contained very expensive ointment. And everyone who saw that box knew that it was filled with, with, with uh, ointment that uh, was consisted of a year's wages. There was no discussion. Everybody knew that. They also knew it was the kind of ointment you'd use to anoint the body of a, of a deceased person. And that was probably ointment that they had saved or bought. They were going to anoint the body of Lazarus with. But Lazarus was raised back to life. And Lazarus was sitting within, within, you know, within arm's distance of the Lord Jesus Christ here at dinner table. And so Mary comes up, breaks the stem off. And when she broke the stem off, that meant basically there only was one thing to do with that ointment. You had to pour it out. And she walks right up to Jesus in front of everybody. She pours it out. And she's pouring it out. People are just standing there, kind of just speeches, not knowing what to say, and the ointment is coming, flowing down his head, down his beard, down his garment, covers his feet. He's covered top, from the top of his head to sole his feet with his oil. The, the room is drenched with the aroma and the fragrance of this wonderful oil. The Bible says the fragrance filled the room. That's what John said. And uh, you would think that everyone's excited that someone came to, to demonstrate great love for the Lord Jesus Christ, but that was so different. It was an anomaly compared to what people did because nobody came to wash his feet that night. Nobody showed any kind of love to him that night except for this woman Mary and she did it gingerly and patiently and she just wanted Jesus to know that she loved him. And notice the reaction to this. As soon as it happened, look at verse 8. But when his disciples, and we read this, the one that led it was, was Judas himself. But when his disciples saw it, 
They had indignation, saying, to what purpose is this waste? Now, to them, it was a waste. You know, sometimes we're not very careful. We think, well, why did you do that? It's a waste. So, you know, and sometimes we've got to be careful. Sometimes people show their love for the Lord, and they go out and buy something they want to do for the church. And, and sometimes just, in, you know, we, we mean well. And we say, well, don't waste your money doing that. Then we have to catch ourselves. Wait, so, and say, so wait a minute. This person's just trying to show their love for Jesus. We shouldn't keep them from doing this. But the disciples, they saw a year's wages here. Now, these are guys that they probably didn't change their sandals in three years. How many understand if you're wearing sandals, you probably need to change it at least once a year, amen? They had changed their sandals for three years. They're still wearing the same long flowing garments, and they're probably thinking we could use a change of garments here, and we could probably every now and then could upgrade ourselves from Motel 6 to Holiday Inn, you know, probably thinking something like that as we travel there, you know? And they're probably thinking maybe we can, maybe we can, we can graduate from five barley loaves and two little fishes to how about a full, full, you know, a full uh, 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 sea bass or something like that there, you know? They're probably thinking things like that, and they're thinking, why is this waste being made? And they're upset, and they've conspired among themselves, and here's what they said, Jesus, to what purpose is this waste? And they said, for this ointment might have been sold for much and give it to the poor. Now, the truth of the matter is they had no intention to give it to the poor. Look at Jesus, how he responded to them in verse 10. When Jesus understood it, he said to them, notice the word, trouble, kopos, labor. Why trouble ye the woman? Here's this woman with a heart for God, enthusiasm for Christ. What did these 12 guys do, these 12 men? They just poured cold water on what she did. They just discouraged her and probably people around her from showing their love for Jesus Christ. They just discouraged. Let me tell you something tonight. You get a new believer. New believers come to church. Listen to me. This is the core tonight. New believers come to church. They don't know how they're supposed to act in church, okay? They don't know really what's going on there. And so if they see a church that's not amening, they see a church that's not excited about the Lord. They see a church where people are holding back because we're reserved because of our culture. And they see a church that's not, their heart is not vibrating and pulsating for Jesus Christ. They're not excited about things. Guess what the new believers are seeing? They're saying, that's the culture of the church. I guess that's what I'm supposed to identify with. Hey, let me tell you tonight, when they come to church, they need to see a church that loves Jesus, that loves God, that's on fire for the Lord, that's giving to God, that's doing something for Christ, that's at the altar, that has a spirit of repentance, that wants to do something for God, not a church that's reserved because that's our culture. Listen, there comes a time when conviction must supplant culture and conviction is what drives our hearts. Yeah. So Jesus, why trouble you the woman? This, thank God Mary was not discouraged. But for the average believer, here's what he's saying there. If this is the average believer, they probably said, well, I'm not going to do that again. Why would I want to give an offering like that? Nobody else did it. And here, Jesus had to say, rebuke those men who were in leadership training positions. Why trouble ye the woman? You have the wrong perception, the wrong attitude about this. This is the pain that goes on. Notice something else. Paul talks even further about his own circumstances. Look at 2 Corinthians 11. In 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23-28, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in death often. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Man, he has had some bad scars on his back if he got whipped that many times. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once I was stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers. <clears throat> 
in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. Notice verse 27. In weariness and painfulness, both words, the word kopos, labor. In weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things which are that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. What's Paul saying here? Serving the Lord, there will be times. There's going to be pain. It's going to be exhausting. You'll be bone tired. But you know what? You go on because it's not just the word kopos. It's kopos agape. We labor in love. We do it because we love the Lord and we want other people to love Jesus as well. Amen? Amen. Now go back to 1 Thessalonians 1.3. Paul said, I remember without ceasing your work of faith. It was active. It was asking. It was artistic. But also remember your labor of love. And we're given one sole incident in Acts 17. People are getting saved. The church is meeting in the house of Jason. And the Jews don't like what they see. A riot is started. A spirit of anti-Christ, anti-church is present in the, church, in the city of Thessalonica. And they go, and the Bible describes this when Acts 17, they assaulted the house of Jason. And they took Jason and certain brethren out of the house. They basically took them. They, they shamed them. They made them feel bad. And they brought them and decided, what are we going to do? And they, they said things like, these are, the wor- these are they which have turned the world upside down. And of course, we use it in a positive way, but they use it in a very negative way. And so basically forced the situation where Jason and the brethren were taken by these men. They basically had to pay a fine or substantial fee to be set free to get out of this mess they were in. And uh, you know what? As they did so, they hurriedly got Paul out of town because they didn't want Paul to get hurt. You know what Paul saw after that? Because Timothy and and, and Silas stayed behind. They saw the, the labor of love. This church, instead of disbanding, this church, instead of it saying it's not worth it, this church, instead of just throwing in the towel, they, they, they dug in their heels even more and said, you know what? It's worth it because we're serving Jesus Christ. It hurts, but we're going to keep serving God. It hurts, but we're going to keep loving this community, and we're going to love this people, and we're going to do everything we can. And so Paul's thinking about how this church was criticized and slandered, but they kept on going. It was their labor of love. And let me just say tonight, if there's anything that's going to help us go go forward for Jesus Christ. We must determine that when those seasons of criticism and hardship and heartache and weariness and all those things come, we must just dig our heels in deep and just decide, you know what? We're going to keep on loving. We're going to keep on serving. We're going to keep on loving like God loves because we realize that the, the, the one constraining factor that keeps us going for serving Jesus Christ is that labor of love like they have. So we see the principle. We see the people. We see the pain. But notice Paul gives us a prompting about the labor of love. The prompting I want you to see as we find how this word is used, I want you to consider the word of encouragement Paul gives us. Because maybe I'm talking to maybe even just one person tonight, you've gotten so disappointed and so disenchanted with people that you need to apply this labor of love as Paul's talking about this church here. And notice with me 1 Corinthians 15, 58. And you have to think of it in the context of the difficulties of the church at Corinth, because this is a church that Paul had to make multiple, multiple corrections on as far as sins and bad practices and bad doctrines. 
And he says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Notice this, for as much as you know that your labor, your kolpos is not in vain, Lord. You know what he's saying there? There were some down there at the church that were giving their best to keep the church straight. There were some there that were praying out their hearts that the church would be holy because they had to deal with moral issues. There were some there were praying that brethren that were fighting to such a degree they were taking their lawsuits to unsaved people who said, I hope they get it right and stop that. There were some who had gone backwards in, in, their, in their walk with God and were still living in, in immorality. And he's saying, I hope they realize that their bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. There were some of them there that were still, that were concerned that they had a weak conscience and they were, they were concerned about people that were eating food were off to idols and saying, well, that's not right, and their conscience was offended. And there were some who had a misconstruing of the idea of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the work of God, and, and, and the body of Christ was fractured, if you would, in terms of people going a different direction. And there were some who did, who did not hold to the, the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and Paul had to give the entire chapter 15 to that. And there were some that were concerned as far as what, what really happens to the body after death, and he has to deal with that in 2 Corinthians while there too. You know, he's dealing with all these things there, but Paul didn't focus on the troubles, and he didn't focus on the people that were going sideways. You know what he's focusing on? He's focusing on the men and the women that were serving God, whose names weren't even mentioned in the book of 1 Corinthians, but they were serving Jesus Christ. And he's thinking maybe of Fortunatus, who he talks about here. And he's thinking about maybe about Achille and Priscilla, who were working there for a period of time. They still loved the Lord, and they were still working hard, and they were still giving their best. And they were deciding that, you know what? It doesn't matter all these people are doing these crazy things. We're going to dig our heels in deep and serve God and give our best. Paul is thinking about this. Listen, just be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding the work of the Lord. Why? Because everything you did in the past, everything you're doing now, and everything you're doing in the future is never in vain in our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, if you think you waste your time serving God, it's never in vain serving Jesus Christ. If you think it's in vain going so many, it's never in vain going so many. If you think it's in vain cleaning up the church and putting the chairs together and throwing out the garbage, none of that is ever in vain. Listen, it's a joy to serve Jesus Christ tonight. Then notice Hebrews 6.10. Paul uses the same word again. And in Hebrews, as we get to chapter 6, these are some pretty beaten up believers if you've studied first the book of Hebrews. There were people that he's writing to that were very fired up, serving God, but they're just floating along. The Judaizers got in. It's kind of like today, the Judaizers like today, the Steve Andersons that are on the internet who twist your faith. They want to get your heart. They want to get your pocketbook, get your attention. They want to give you another gospel. And so these believers said, forget it. That's why Paul talks in the book of Hebrews, these five stages of spiritual decline. And so he gets to chapter 6, and he's dealing with people. As you start off, he said, let us go on to perfection. That's what he said in chapter 6, verse 1. Let's go on to perfection. Let's go on to maturity. You know, we don't, we don't repeat the salvation process again. We're not going to get baptized again. We're not going to do this again. We're in a local church here. Where you're, you're in this local church. You're not going to repeat all these practices again. But he knew the heart of heart of some of those people, they were discouraged because they had done some things for the Lord in the past. And they're thinking, well, God doesn't even know we did this. And notice Hebrews 6.10, how Paul writes them. He says this, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. There again. Now, you feel like you're forgotten. And, and, and let me just say this tonight. As a church, we need to acknowledge 
and we need to give thanks, and we need to commend. But even if we didn't, can I tell you something tonight? God is not unrighteous to forget your labor of love. God knows our tellers and our accounting people that are they're, they're behind the scenes and nobody sees them. And the time they get, hey, listen, we got guys on Sunday afternoons, and of course, we've checked them out for integrity purposes, who give two hours, three hours on Sunday afternoon to count the offering and make sure it's clear. They're on camera. They're being watched. Okay? And they know it. And they give a good account. God knows those people who come here early in the mornings and late at night. They stay here. God knows some of our, some of our men who stay here late at night to make sure everything's locked down. And some people fellowship. They just wait till the village fellowship to go. God knows those who grab. grab he got, got, we had two men on the other night who were got in two different corners inside the kitchen. Some of the staff saw them. They were just quietly washing dishes, going away. One of them had been here for five, five or six hours washing dishes because there was a lot of stuff going on there. He did, and he stayed almost to the end. Another one went into the corner and said, I'll do my part there. Hey, God sees all that. He doesn't forget our labor of love. He doesn't forget that. He doesn't forget the ladies who come here. When we send out, and we've got another ma- mailing campaign going out there, that we're, 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 they're going to they're fold and seal 2,000 letters, 2,000 invitations, maybe more this, this for Easter, that we want to send out to past visitors in the last three years. And they give their time, and they make sure those, those envelopes are sealed, and they count, go over it again. And I mean, there's, I could tell you so many different things that are, are you know, I, I could just call labor love. Nobody knows, but God knows. God knows some of you who, because of your schedule, that the greatest contribution you're able to make for the church is to give an hour a day in prayer just for your church. God knows. He doesn't forget your labor of love. He knows some of us who have to deal with numerous heartaches and issues and dynamics that just, they continue, they persist. And all the things that go with that, he says, God is on a right to forget your labor of love. He says, listen, guys, God knows. And that's why Paul's writing to the church of Thessalonica. He says, you know what? What a healthy church. This church, is, their faith is active. Their faith is busy. Their faith is at work. Their faith is active. Their faith is asking. Their faith is artistic. He said, but look at this church here. Their labor of love. They know the principle. They're dealing with people. They feel the pain, but they're feeling the prompt of the Holy Spirit. They, they know that they need to keep on going. They just keep doing what they're supposed to because God loves them. Hey, let me tell you tonight, the, the, the church, listen, for us, if we want to see people go to the next level, we're going forward, we have to demonstrate in this room, we have to demonstrate to people that come to this church that laboring for Jesus Christ, we do it because we love the Lord and it's worth everything we do for Jesus Christ. Because I tell you, the moment we get a bad attitude and we say, it's not worth it, I'm not going to do it again. You just, you just think about, at, at the judgment seat of Christ, how many works, how many things just got deducted from there and are going to burn during the fire. If we went from wood, we went from gold, silver, precious stone, become wood, hay, and stubble at that moment of time. I mean, that, that's a reality. And Paul's talking to these believers here. He says, look at here. I'm going to give you a prompting here. Let me give you one more thing. We're done tonight. Virtue number one is the work of faith. Virtue number two is the labor of love. But quickly tonight, virtue number three is the patience of hope. Again, there's two words here. The first word, patience, means endurance even during difficult circumstances. Endurance even during difficult circumstances. The second word, hope, is the anticipation of a coming event. So in other words, the best analogy I can give you, it's almost like a small infantry of men stuck in a foxhole somewhere they're almost out of ammunition, and uh, the enemy just keeps bombarding them, but they know help is on the way, but they're wondering, will the help get here before they get mown down by the automatic weapons? You know what I'm saying? And they have this, they're being patient in that foxhole, but they've got this hope. They know it's going to happen. 
that, this, that their commander and leader said he's coming and they're anticipating he's going to come. Now, I want you to notice that the word patience here is the word hupomone. And when you study your Bible, whenever you see the word hupo, hupo always means under. We get our word submission from that, hupotasso. We get our word obedience from uh, we get our word obedience from the word upo. It, it always talks about something under. And patience means this is having is having your will and your spirit under endurance. You're just putting it under. You're not letting it get the best of you. And in the New Testament, it's the characteristic of a man who's not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety. In other words, no matter what goes on. That individual, when it uses the word patience, is saying, nothing is going to move. That's Paul saying, none of these things shall move me. None of these things shall move me. That's patience in action. That's biblical patience. That the most extreme circumstance and difficulty is not going to move this person. It means they're steadily waiting. Now, let me give you an example. It is used in Luke 8.15. Would you turn there for just a minute? Because this helps us understand how the Word of God works. It's the virtue that sustains us when we labor in love and are going through storms. It's the virtue that sustains us when we labor in love and go through storms. In Luke 18, 15, I want you to notice the commentary that the Word of God gives itself about when we sow the seed of the Word. Because sometimes people like myself get a little anxious and we, need, we want to rush the Word of God along. And we can't rush the Word of God along. And he says in Luke 8, 15, But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the Word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Fruit bearing in a new believer or someone who's just coming back around, we must be patient to let the Word of God work in the hearts. But when it comes out, the Bible describes that it brings forth fruit with patience. In 2 Peter 1.6, he says, And to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience. We've got to bring our spirit under submission to the Lord. And we must have endurance through the most difficult of circumstances, knowing that at the end, it's all good. So as we close tonight, I want you to quickly notice how we apply the patience of hope. Number one, the patience of hope is applied to our redemption. Our redemption is our anticipation of heaven. How many of you tonight are looking forward to going to heaven? Amen. Amen. But if you're going through a trial, and I'll just reference one. You think about missionary Paulie Irvin right now. To having gone through health trials for two years over in the Ukraine, come back to North America, have the doctors check her out, where we supposedly have the most advanced medicine on planet Earth, and to be told there's nothing we could do for you, you're going to die in a few months. How do you think she's feeling right now? You know how I'd feel? If they gave me a sentence like that, I'd say, I'd like to go to heaven right now. You're waiting it out. That's, that's patience of hope. That's patience of hope. And Paul said this, Peter said this, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again, notice this, a lively hope. You tell someone, somebody who's new the faith about their word about heaven, hey, listen, it's a living hope. It's a living hope we have in Jesus Christ. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, he says, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. I love reading this verse as an assurance of salvation because someone needs to know when they get saved, God's reserved a spot for you in heaven. That's why Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Patience of hope applies to our redemption. Your body's hurting. The cancer spread. When all hope is gone, we need patience of hope for redemption. Secondly, we need patience of hope for our remorse. 
Would you notice Romans chapter 5, verses 2 through 4? By whom also we have access by faith. Now he's talking about justification by faith in verse 1, but now he's talking about now what happens in your faith. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And by the way, notice that phrase, rejoice in hope. Paul uses it more than one time, more than two times in the book of Romans. Rejoicing in hope. Rejoice in hope but to the, of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. Now what's he talking about there? Exactly what, everything we talked about in the last 20 minutes about labor of love. Patience worketh experience. We glory in tribulations. Tribulation worketh patience. If you're praying for patience, you better be prepared for tribulations. You better be prepared for trials because that's the only way you're going to get patience. And patience gives us experience. That's how you get wisdom. And notice, experience gives us hope. Patience of hope is needed for our redemption. Patience of hope is needed for our remorse. But notice tonight, Titus 2.13, patience of hope is needed for our removal. Looking for the blessed hope. Aren't you glad about that tonight? Amen. And the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our greatest anticipation tonight, I pray, will happen in our generation. That we will be the generation when the rapture occurs. Wouldn't that be cool? Amen? That'd be so great. You don't sound excited about it. You, okay, you go ahead and stay behind. Amen? You know, I'm going up. Light, light, lights, something started. We heard some sound or flickering in the, in the cornerstone class the other day. And I said, don't worry, Jesus is not coming. You're still here. Then I thought about, wait a minute, I'm still here too. Amen? You know? And Paul, when he wrote to Titus, Titus was on the island of Crete. He was all by himself. Paul was in prison. He's looking for the blessed hope, the glorious prayer of the great God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Romans 12, 2, Paul says this, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. That's the secret right there. As we close, then go back to 1 Thessalonians 1, 3, and we're done tonight. Paul gives us the habits of a spiritually healthy church. They have a work of faith. They have a labor of love. They have patience of hope. Now with these habits, there's a harvest. There's a harvest associated with that. Because as Paul writes this, you need to see the end result. What does work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope do for a church? Huh? It's a healthy church. It's a healthy church. It's a thriving church. It's a church in a constant state of revival. But I want you to see two things, and we're done with this. Notice in verses 5 to 8, and this is going to kind of give you whet your appetite, what we're going to see. Paul goes on in verse 4. He talks about the election. And I'm going to probably pull, pull off on the side there and just give you a message, a Bible study uh, in the ensuing weeks about the word election so you can kind of rest on that and, and know that, that the Calvinists don't own that word. I Actually, Baptists own the word election, okay? But Calvinists should not own that word, and we're going to see that. But I want you to notice verse 5 to 8. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith that God were to spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. Now watch what's going on here. Don't go backwards, go forward. 
Paul's saying, I remember without ceasing your work of faith, labor, love, and patience of hope. Hey, remember these three virtues in your life that demonstrate as a church that this is a healthy church. I'm identifying that your faith is working. I'm identifying you're dealing with the hardship because you're dealing with the hardship by loving like God loves. And I'm identifying with this that you're being patient and hope. You're looking for Jesus coming. You're, you're anticipating God's going God's to take you home. And you're, you're working right through this time of rejoicing and hope and patient tribulation. So he says here, what is the harvest? He goes on saying, by having this virtue, there's a harvest for a church that is healthy for Jesus Christ. And notice what he says here in verses 5 to 8. Number one, it's a missionary church. It's a church that's on fire with the gospel. He's saying here, look at you've got these traits for from you sounded out the gospel. And he talks about here in verse 8, it's a church where the gospel is echoing off the mountains. It's a missionary church. Their influence spread abroad. Paul only had one journey there. He says, listen, your, your witness has gone through all of Macedonia and downwards to Achaia. I know because he said, I'm in Achaia right now. I'm ministering to the Corinthians. And we've heard all about what God's doing there. Hey, a healthy church, man, the message gets around. Message gets around. But it's not only a missionary church. It was a model church became exemplary for other churches to follow. Look what he says here, and we're done. He says in verse 7, so that you were examples to all that believe. Macedonia came. Don't you want our church to be an example? He meant? Don't you want this church to be an example of things that God's doing? That's the model church. That's a church triumphant. And so tonight, as we close, I want to encourage you this evening, boil it down to this. It's not difficult. Healthy churches are made up of healthy members. Healthy members are the ones who must be practicing a work of faith, a labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. How about you today? How about you? Father, tonight, thank you for uh, the study from 1 Thessalonians. Lord, as we have the invitation time, help us to take some time to contemplate, Lord. Ministry can be tough. Dealing with people can be tough. Dealing with setbacks, sharing the burdens, carrying the load, bearing one another's burdens can be very, very difficult. And sometimes more than we can handle. Dealing with our own families and just the trials that they have can be very, very difficult. At times we want to, we want to retract, we want to withdraw, we want to cut back. But Paul said, I remember your labor of love. And thank you tonight that you're not unrighteous to forget our labor of love. And thank you tonight that you prompt us to be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Father, maybe tonight you, we just needed a shot in the arm. We needed that adrenaline rush. We need just the tenderness of the Holy Spirit touching us and saying, hey, you know, you can do it. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Look, for the, look in the eastern sky. Your redemption draweth nigh. And Father, tonight, I just pray help us to be just very genuine and very real about this patience of hope and labor of love that we need in Christ. Father, forgive us sometimes we're impatient. Lord, forgive us we don't have a lot of tolerance with people. Forgive us at times we don't have that spirit of meekness. Forgive us at times, Lord, that our praying is skewed and somewhat jaded and not really what it should be. Whatever it may be tonight, speak to our hearts this evening, Holy Spirit, and, and wide, and wide, wide, with, just a, with just a stroke of the Holy Spirit's hand, touch us, Lord, tonight with your love and your goodness so that, Lord, we are healthy, healthy church members contributing towards a healthy church. Help us tonight to have that work of faith, that labor of love, 
and the pay